sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> but, but you get the real thing now. You get the real thing. Thank you guys for your kindness towards my family and how many of you guys have been able to be so kind to my kids especially. And um, I, I'm bummed I, I haven't had the opportunity to get to know most of you, but for those of you who I have had the opportunity to meet, it's been an encouragement and a joy. Um, I know this sounds weird, but I, I actually really love all of you. I have a great affection for you. And it's not because you're all so lovely, because I'm not so lovely. It's because God has such affection for you, and I feel, I feel his love for you. My heart is going out for you. My church back home, um, they're praying for you and other people. And um, so I'm excited to get back into the text. Yesterday I mentioned that you really ought not to just take my word for it, but you, you need to check my work, right? And if I'm accurately representing and sharing with you what's in here, then it's as if God himself is speaking to you. And that's a good thing. Now, with that said, there are gonna be times, tonight especially, and throughout the remaining sessions, that I'm gonna say something that you may not like at all. And I promise you, I never say something like that because I get, some, I get kicks out of making people angry or, you know, messing with people. I, I never, I ne that's not in my, my, my heart at all. But I will say it if it's here. And there'll be times where I'm going to say things that you're going to really love. And regardless if you like what I say or you hate what I say, the question not, should not be if you like it or you hate it, but is it true? Is it what this book says? Because if it's true and you love it, then it's not because I'm great, it's because God is great. And if you hate it, it's not because of me and your issue is with him. And, and I say that because one of the biggest temptations, not of our generation or my generation, or, or, but every generation who ever lived is to remake or reject the God of the Bible. And what I mean by that is that we're often exposed to truths as we read the Bible, we hear people preaching God's word, talk with your parents or talk with people you love, and when we hear a truth that rubs us wrong, we're like, ooh, I don't, I don't like that, that doesn't make me feel comfortable, or, or that challenges me, or that offends me, you have, you have a chance right then to do something. That's receive it, even though it's hard, reject it, A, that's not for me. I'm rejecting that. Or remaking it, remaking it. Receive, reject, remake. All of us, including me, have that temptation every time we open up God's word, every time we hear God's word, is a temptation to remake his word to fit what we want, fit our sensibilities, our likings, our desires. In, in fact, it's almost better sometimes for you to reject it because if you reject it knowing that's what it is, you at least have a hope to come back to truth. Because you're like, no, I don't want that. That may be true, but I don't want that for me. You almost are in a better place of hope than for you to then say, you know what, I do receive it, but let me put my little twist on it. Have you ever heard this term, my truth? You guys heard that? Let me put a little my truth to it. You wouldn't say it like that, but internally in our hearts, we take God's word and we twist it and we make it to fit what we want. And if you're in that situation, and I've been in that situation many times, that's a dangerous place to be because God will not be remade. 
And tonight, that's something we're going to see that Jonah struggles with and something we're going to see throughout this text is that all of us here, including me, we struggle with remaking God or rejecting God, but God has called us to receive him. And I challenge you to receive this God in all that he is, in the ways that make your heart sing, and in the times that makes your heart sting. Receive him for all he is and not what you want him to be. Now, I want to pray with you, but what I want to do is do something a little different. I want to spend the first minute praying for our own hearts. I want you, I want, if, you, if you're willing to do this, would you close your eyes? And it's, it's, it's not for me, not, there's nothing manipulative about it. It's just, I just want you not to be able to focus on your neighbor. And for the next minute, would you just pray to the God of, of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of Lord that we just sang, and ask God to speak to you today through his word. That God himself would speak. Not Sam Choi, but God. And even if you're a skeptic or you're not sure about God, you can say, God, if you're real, would you speak to me? I'm here. Speak to me, Lord. Now, would you take a moment the next minute to pray for those in your sitting next to you, those in your youth group? Just pray that God would speak to them. Let, let us all encounter the living God, not just you, but together. So pray for others. Bless them. You know their situations better than I do. Pray for those hard situations they may be in, the doubts they're in, the pains, the trauma that they're working through. And lastly, would you pray for me? I promise I'll preach better if you pray for me. Pray that God would empower me, that I would speak the truth and nothing but the truth in a way that is clear and helpful. Would you pray for me now? So Father, this is your word. And I know so often I want to remake it to fit what I want. And I know I'm in a room full of people who are like that as well. And I pray all of us would humbly receive you for who you are. You would open up our eyes to behold the truth of who you are. Would you reveal yourself? I pray that you would help every, every soul in here be able to listen into your word, hear from you, give us energy and focus. Help me be a clear communicator of your word. Let me not get in the way. My blind spots, my weaknesses, my sin, get in the way for what you want to do for these students. Thank you, Lord, that you love them so much, and you love them so much that you brought them here, and you got a special plan for them tonight. I pray every heart would be attentive, and we all pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 Thanks, y'all. So let me remind you where we're going as we go through the book of Jonah um, and remind where we just came from. We're going to keep going back to truths that we spoke of. And so if you heard some things from me yesterday and it was like Charlie Brown, like wah, 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 you guys know what that is, you know? Um, and you're like, I don't know what that means. It's okay. We're going to keep looping back 
and we're gonna build, and, and by the end of the week, God willing, it's gonna be a lot clearer for you, okay? So just a reminder, Jonah is a prophet of Israel, and yet God is commanding him to go to his enemies, the, the country that is their mortal enemy, to go speak judgment about them, because their evil has come before God, and God has not ignored the evil. And Jonah has an issue with this, because these are his enemies. And so, I mean, do you, do you blame the guy? Would you wanna to go to your enemies across the country or across the world to preach? But remember what I said, mer- uh, warnings are mercy. Do you guys remember I said that? Warnings are mercy? This is a mercy that God is giving to Assyria. He's being kind and merciful to them by sending Jonah to give them but Jonah will have no part in this, so he flees from God's face. He turns, him, turns his back to God's face, right? When you think about a good relationship, you, you guys have ever tried to have a conversation with one of your parents and your parents are on their phone? Their, their face isn't on you? And have you ever done that to them? Yeah. Okay, yeah, all right, okay, good. As long as you're, as long as you're consistent, okay, right? But, but you need to, to see someone's face to actually have a real relationship. Right? But if you turn your back on them, you can't really have a relationship like that. Hey, hey guys, you know, like that, that's not gonna work. So Jonah has turned his back to God, to Yahweh, and is fleeing from his presence, going his own way, because Jonah has a picture in his mind of what goodness and justice and, and, and the good life and, and how this world should be is, and it differs from God's vision. So he's rebelling against it. He knows better. He thinks he knows better, at least. And he's kind of like me, because I think I know better oftentimes. So God sends a storm at him, but it's not to punish him. Do you remember I said this? It's not to punish Jonah for his sin, but bring Jonah back from his sin. It's to wake him up from his spiritual slumber. So Jonah is caught and exposed for the hypocrite that he is. So let's look at the text. Jonah chapter 1, verse 11. If you have your Bibles, please, please take a look. It will be on the screen if you don't have one. But Jonah 111, and I just want to make one side note. By the end of this week, you're going to have read through the whole book of Jonah, which raise your hand if you've never read through the whole book of Jonah. Straight through. Okay, that's most of us. Hey, we're going to do that. Now, listen, I'm actually funnier than, than in, real, in real life than here. I, like, I could actually, I know this book enough to where I can just reenact it and say it all and not point you to the text. And you guys would be a lot more interested, believe it or not. And you'd be a lot more entertained, and some of you guys wouldn't be nodding off like you were yesterday. But you know what that, the temptation of that, because I, I have enough gifts to do that. The temptation would be that you walk away thinking about me, and I want you to walk away thinking about this. And you also have the temptation to walk away and say, you know what, I can't really know God unless I have some speaker at Hume, and I need lights, and I need you know, all this cool stuff. I can only encounter God on that mountain but I want you to, to know that you can meet God here. And whatever I'm saying is just because it's here. Does that make sense? So I'm trying to get you back here, and I know that it's a little less engaging at times, pointing you back to the text and having you read it, but I want you to go to the source so you're not dependent on me or even your youth pastors. And all the youth, youth pastors say amen? Amen. amen? amen. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I could be funnier, I could reenact all this, but I'm not doing that because I want to help you set you up for life to go to the source and not be dependent on me. Okay, Jonah 1.11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? You remember these are the pagan sailors who are worshiping other idols and other gods? That the sea may quiet down for us, because they're freaking out, remember? 
They're panicking because the ship is about to be ripped to shreds. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. <laughs> Great word. Verse 12. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, why, what is Jonah doing here? Is Jonah full of compassion? He's trying to care for them. It's possible because he says, he's owning, he says, it's me that this tempest, it's because of me this has come upon you. So it's possible for the first time in the book, Jonah's actually thinking about other people. Which if you're as self-absorbed and warped as Jonah is at this point, just starting to think about other people is a great start. But I think there's more here because if you read the rest of the book, Jonah like is really um, I know some of you guys are gonna laugh, but you shouldn't. He's very suicidal, okay? He's very quick to wanna die. You're gonna see this in chapter four on Sunday or Monday. He just wants to die all the time. And so I don't know if Jonah actually cares about these sailors or if he just wants to just end it. See, notice Jonah doesn't cry out for mercy. He doesn't say, sailors, listen, we gotta turn around and go towards Nineveh, toward that way. He doesn't do that. He's just saying, you know, I'm not doing that. The only way out of this is for me to die. I, I, I don't know. But the, the, the genius of the text, it doesn't give us clear-cut answers of Jonah's motivations oftentimes. We don't know. It doesn't say, this is why Mo Jonah did it. Sometimes it does, and oftentimes it doesn't. And I think what that does, it helps us crawl into the depths of our own hearts and question, why do we do what we do? And so often we don't know why we do what we do. We, we are on autopilot. In fact, there's all these different anxieties and things under the waters of our heart that are influencing us and we don't even know why we're doing what we do. We don't know why we just lashed out at our parents or why we said that nasty thing to a friend or why we did this or that, but there's something underneath. And, and, and so I think one thing that the, the author of Jonah is doing is constantly caught asking us, where's your heart at? Why do you do what you do? It's a really helpful thing because in our culture, a lot of us are really ignorant of why we do what we do. Now, instead of killing him, the sailors are afraid of potentially getting in greater trouble with Yahweh, so they make vain attempts to save themselves. Look at verse 13. Would you read this out loud with me? We'll just do that periodically tonight. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Some of you guys struggled with that word tempestuous. I know, I know. I mean, it's, it's the word that we all say all the time, right? You're like, oh man, that was such a tempestuous party, right? All right, I know, it's not a common word. But it comes from this word tempest, which is this idea of just this crazy storm of the sea, okay? So again, remember, this is, this is bonkers. This is like the, the ship is literally about to fall apart because of the winds and the waves. It's crazy. So these sailors, I, someone create and invent a water bottle that won't be kicked over, right? Or I should just wear one of those camelbacks while I'm preaching, you know, and just, just drink water throughout it. Okay. All right. Now, these sailors have been trying to save themselves. They tried on calling their own gods. That didn't work. Lightening the load of their ship. That didn't work. Asking Jonah to pray. Jonah wouldn't pray. He doesn't want to talk to God. They tried casting lots. They tried interrogating Jonah, and they tried rowing, but they can't. You can't row against God. Remember, God is the God in the last sermon. He's the God of the land and the what? Sea. sea. You don't row against the God of the sea. But there's one more option they haven't tried that they've not want to try. Verse 14. 
Did you read this with me? Therefore, they called out to Yahweh, Oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. There's a lot here. Listen, the first prayer in this chapter does not come from Jonah, but who? which is the thing that we're going to see throughout this whole book over and over again. The people who should be praying, the people who should be holy and loving and merciful are not, and the people that you would expect not to be, they're the ones who are showing grace and fruit. And you can see how much they fear Yahweh and respect him and want to honor him with their words. They're like, oh God, we don't want to do this. Are you hearing us? Please don't kill us. But here we are. We're going to throw them out. But they make this one statement at the very end of verse 14 that I think most of us could quickly overlook. For you, can you read this with me? For you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. Yahweh has done as he pleased. These sailors are spiritually awake enough to realize that God, do you remember I used this word yesterday, sovereignty? His power and authority over all things, all creation, all people, that God is doing what he wants to do. They're realizing that this God is having his way. They try to row against him. They try to impose their own will and their own muscles and their own ways against him, and they fail to know you're gonna do what you wanna do. We see this theme throughout the entirety of scripture. Psalm 115.3, would you read this with me on the screen? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Have you ever heard that verse before? See, for those who love and trust God, that line that I just said is one of the most encouraging, comforting statements you could ever hear. But if you are opposed to God, if you're in the middle of a wrestling match with God, with be, between your vision of the good life and your vision to reality and your, your, your will for your life and his, then that statement I just read is offensive. It's frustrating. It's hard, for we want a God who will flex to our our agenda, our purposes, our plans. And unless God changes your heart and my heart by his grace, we want a God who lives for us and does what we please. But listen, let me say this really clearly to all of you with love, God will do as he pleases, his purposes will come to pass, and you could either work with him with joy or work against him. And I don't say that in like a threatening, like, don't work, like, no, I mean that, like, you could really work with him with joy, or you can work against him, and it's gonna suck. It really does. I mean, do you really want to work against the purposes and plans of the God whose God has authority and power over everything? And I think most people in their right mind wouldn't say, yeah, I do. But functionally, the way we live our lives, we're like, yeah, yeah, I do. See, a lot of us struggle with these statements, and I know I did for a long time, because in reality, what we have done is created a bargaining system with God, okay? Let Let me explain how it goes for a lot of us, especially if you grew up in church. Who grew up in church? Just remind me, grew up in church? Okay, a lot of us, okay? Uh, If you didn't grow up in church, so glad you're here. Again, so, so glad you're here. Um, 
This is how it, it goes for a lot of us. We create a bargaining system with God. We say this to God. We say, God, well, I'll give you some of my religious rituals. I'm gonna live a pretty morally good life, especially better than my non-church pagan friends. <laughs> and as a result, we feel like we place God in our debt. Let me say that again. We make this bargain with God that if we do the good acts, we go to church, we do the right things, we're a little bit better than the world, then we have a sense that now God owes me. God owes me. I did my duty, now God, you do your part. We then in turn expect God to bless our lives, our dreams, our agendas. And if he doesn't, we question his goodness or question his existence. That's what so many so-called Christians, how they lose their faith when they experience significant trials. God isn't holding the end of his bargain, Sam. I went to church my whole life. I even saved myself from marriage. I did all these things that the youth pastor said I should do to make my life successful, and my life is so hard. My parents got a divorce. My heart is breaking because this situation, I just got sick, this, that, and all these different scenarios that you can think of, of trials in our life. And we say, God, you're not holding your end of the bargain. I mean, if, if you want to know if you're guilty of this, just imagine that in the next week you come back from Hume and you feel real strongly on your heart that you want to donate a ton of money to missions. You guys talked about missions this morning, right? And let's say you emptied your entire bank account when you get back from, from Hume and you give it all away to missions. And you're like, wow, I am so spiritual. God, do you see me? I love you. I'm worshiping you. And imagine that same day you walk out on a street and a car comes out of nowhere, a drunk driver knocks you out, breaks your legs, and you're in the hospital. How would you feel towards God? Thank you, thank you for being honest. Who, who said angry? Anybody else thought angry? God, God, I just gave away all this money for you. How dare you? You owe me. And you see, there lies right there the problem. We have a transactional bargaining system with God. You do this stuff, I do this stuff for you, therefore you should bless me. And if my life goes poorly, then I'm gonna question your goodness and maybe even question if you're real. See, but what this ultimately is revealing is that we are just looking for a God to let us be God. <laughs> a God that will empower us for our own purposes and our own agenda. We're looking for a genie, a God that is just a ticket to our own dreams. And we will make much of God and praise God as long as he's making much of us. Let me ask you some honest questions. Do any of you feel the crazy pressure to be accepted by others? Yeah, some of you. Thank you for your honesty. Some guy's like, not me. Did anyone see me? Yeah. <laughs> Have you, you guys ever posted on Instagram or Facebook, and like just seconds later, you're like, huh, did anyone, anyone, anyone liked it? Anybody done that before, right? And then you keep checking throughout the day, and you're like, man, why are people liking this? This is a really good picture, <laughs> right? And then sometimes by the end of the week, you're like, I, really? really this many likes, this is at least worth 10 times those likes. And we feel so deflated, so discouraged. People aren't liking me enough, mom or dad. 
We all do it, I still do it. Literally, I posted something from my church the other day. I was like, hey guys, I think this will be really good. I wanna hear your thoughts. Literally nobody in my church responded to me. <laughs> and I'm the founding pastor, come on guys. <laughs> I'm feeling so insecure and I'm like, oh dang it, you know? And so I'm in the same boat as you. I know my family, we struggle with it. Every one of us struggle with it. Your youth leaders struggle with it. We all struggle with this desire to be accepted and to be made much of. And wouldn't it be so great to be free from that? Would you, wouldn't you love, I mean, one of the great things about Hume is that we don't get, uh, well, actually, one of the worst things about Hume is that we don't get cellular service. And you know, one of the great things about Hume is that we don't get cellular service. <clears throat> I, know, I know some of you guys are like right now because you got the withdrawals going on, but be honest with me, are any of you guys kind of like feeling relieved that you don't have your phone all the time? Yeah. All right. Now, you need, a, you need a tattoo that on your arm because in one week, you're not gonna believe you said that. But wouldn't it be so great to be free from this bondage of what people think of us all the time and constantly longing to be accepted and loved and being enough and every time you're relating with a friend, you're wondering, do you really like me? Are you just using me? And all that kind of stuff, all the mind games you play, especially you girls, I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Guys, do that too. Hey, 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 listen. I did it, I did it. I did it, I feel you. I'm sorry, guys, that wasn't fair. Girls, forgive me, I'm sorry. It is mostly true, but I'm sorry. All right, come back to me, come back to me, all right. Let me ask you this, what is the antidote to all this anxiety and all this peer pressure? What is the antidote? Let me tell you what it's not. What it's not is what we have got most of our lives, and I grew up with this too, from, and it's sadly oftentimes from churches, and that is God thinks you're special. Hey, hey son, it's okay if they all hate you. God thinks you're great. Your mom and dad think you're great. And the kid's like, Dad, I don't care. <laughs> Get away from me. I want them to think I'm great. <laughs> Have you guys ever had your parents say, hey, but I think you're great and special? <laughs> and you're like, Mom, I don't care about you, right? <laughs> but, but, but you do, but you do. And, and for, for those of us here who grew up in broken homes, you would just love for your parents to say something like that. So I just wanna remind you, for those of you guys who have really wonderful parents and you take them for granted, there are other kids in this room that they would just die to hear their parents say something like that, let alone have parents. But the antidote is not self-esteem. The cure to your self-centeredness, my self-centeredness, our anxiety that plagues our society, our fear of people not thinking much of us is not to get people to think more of us, but to, to, to get people to think less of us. What, what do I mean by that? You don't need self-esteem, you need to know God. Let me, let me explain that, because I know some of you guys will be like, huh, I was tracking with you, I was laughing even, Sam, but, but what are you saying? This is crazy. Listen, one of the greatest lies you've been fed since you're young is that we need to build up your self-esteem. You do not need self-esteem. Ah, as I was prepping this, I was like, man, there's a lot of things that could really tick people off and really get a lot of emails, and this, this may be it. 
I know some of you guys are like, why? L- listen, you do not need to think highly of yourself or think you're special. That will not cure your heart. That is an endless black hole of your heart to constantly have to feel like you're good enough and special enough and better than other people. You were created to not be looking inside of how great you are and how special you are, but actually to be looking at the one who is the most special and the great one. And when you're looking at him, when you're caught up in the beauty of Christ and the goodness and the majesty and the worthiness of, worthiness of Christ, you just stop thinking about yourself. You stop caring about yourself. You, you get the freedom of self-forgetfulness and, and when you start leaving rooms talking to people, your first thought is not, I wonder what they thought of me but you're still free of, free of that and you're thinking, I wonder what they think of Jesus. See, 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 one of the reasons why I can talk with you guys freely is because right now, because over the years, God has done such a work in my heart that I've got, become so in love with God, so enraptured by who he is, that I don't really care if you guys like me, even though I, I do want you to like me. I'm not, my identity and my purpose is not hanging on if you guys accept me or not because I already know the one who does. I know the one whom this whole world is about. See, the more you see him clear, the more you stop thinking about yourself, and the less you're impressed with yourself, and the more you want people just to look at him. If you don't enjoy pointing and worshiping God, the reality it's likely is you just have a really, really small view of God. Or, or maybe you've remade God so much into your own image that there's no majesty and greatness to this God. You've domesticated him. You've made a a majestic lion into a little tame little kitty cat. And so obviously God isn't worthy of worship. So so we sing these songs like, Lord, you're worthy. And you're like, I mean, kind of, I guess. Because you've remade God so much that he's not that worthy anymore. He's not that big. He's small because you've made him to fit into your tiny categories of boxes that fit your purposes in your life. See, when you get caught up in the unconditional love of the Father and caught up with his glory instead of yourself, it's freedom. It's so freeing to be freed of yourself. Listen, I wanna speak to the girls for a second. And I got three daughters. I got three daughters. Girls, it is so freeing to be freed from the trap of trying to be pretty enough, to be accepted enough, to be liked enough. I mean, that, that is being shoved down your throat every day from TV, from social media, from your friends. And you know, the answer is not for me to say, you are pretty, but for you to get caught up in the beauty of Jesus. And when you get caught up in the beauty of how good Jesus is, you just don't care if you're pretty or not as much. And I'm not saying that God doesn't care about physical beauty. I mean, read Song of Solomon with parental supervision, okay? God loves that stuff, okay? But what I'm saying is it can't be primary. And what we've done in our culture have made it primary. The superficial outward stuff has become primary. And God wants to just totally dismantle that for you guys so that your whole identity is not found in how much people like you or how good you are at a sport or how good looking you are, how smart you are, or how good you are at church, but just solely that you are God's and he is yours. And you're living for his glory and not your own. Do you want that? Thank you for saying no. I, I actually really appreciate those of you who said no and then the hundreds of you who are saying no in your heart because the reality, there's a conflict in Jonah and there's a conflict in your heart and that's your glory or God's glory. 
The reality, all of us here are guilty of being glory thieves. We want the attention. We want people to think we're great. And what this word is gonna call you to is not to think you're great, but to think he's great. And you give your whole life to get other people to look at him and point at him. And that is super offensive because you've been told your whole life that life is about you and your dreams and your plans. And then if you're a Christian, you kind of put a Christian spin on it. And how can God make your plans and your dreams go come through? Ooh, I know I'm, I'm, I'm frustrating some of y'all. And listen, this is not an overnight thing that one day you just get it and you're free. I still struggle with the fear of man. I still struggle with my own agenda and my plans and I'm fighting and warring with God at times. But it's a day to day as you grow and know God more intimately, the more the shackles of the people's opinions just start falling off of you. The more you know him, the more you know his heart towards you, the more you know his majesty, the less you care about what people think. I want that for you guys so bad. Jonah needs that. I need that. You need that. And I think right now, one of the things you have to decide, and we'll talk about it more, is that you're going to remake what I just said. You're going to reject it. You're going to receive it. Let's go back to the text. Let's see what happens to the sailors in Jonah. Verse 15. Would you read this out loud? So they picked up Jonah. Good reading. We can do better next time, all right? But, but good job. They hurl him in, and then all of a sudden, quiet and peace. So we know that this is a supernatural storm that God brought. I mean, can you imagine how insane that would be? One moment, you can't even hear your own voice. Wind is blowing, you're shaking. And they're just like, wind's going, water's going everywhere, and all of a sudden, he's thrown in. Boom, quiet. Exactly what happens with Jesus later on in his life except he commands it. And then the men, how do they respond? The text says, they feared Yahweh exceedingly and they offer sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Oftentimes, people will make vows while they're in the midst of a trial, right? They're in the midst of a trial, things are going crazy and they're saying, God, listen, if you save me from this trial, if you heal my mom or you heal the situation or you bring me back my girlfriend or boyfriend, then I'm gonna serve you for life then I'll finally go to church or I'll finally do that thing you're asking me to do. I'm gonna finally go to the Nineveh that you've called me to that I've ignored. But what's amazing about these men is that they are worshiping and making vows to God after the trial stopped. And what that suggests to me is that there's been a genuine heart change for these men. These sailors are genuinely saying, man, God is worthy of my worship, worthy of my trust, worthy of my life. And they're repenting and they're giving their whole heart to him. Again, we're showing us that the people who have no business following Yahweh are the ones who are most willing often, especially in Jonah. But what's going on with Jonah? Verse 17. Would you guys do a little better reading this out loud with me? And you, the Lord appointed a great... So God in his mercy towards Jonah sends a giant fish to swallow him up. Again, God has authority and power, sovereignty over everything, even giant sea monsters, okay? And this is a mercy. Why is this a mercy? What could he have let Jonah just do? Drown, drown that sucker. Like that guy doesn't deserve being saved. 
He's the worst prophet, are you kidding me? Get somebody who will listen. And yet, God saves him from his death, albeit an uncomfortable savior. Like imagine you're like drowning, you're like, God save me. And then you see a giant monster, like giant fish coming to swallow you. Not that, not that. That's not what I was saying. Now I realize some of you just heard what I said and read this and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. I grew up in church, you know, whale, cute whale. But some of you guys, especially if you are, uh, you know, thinking carefully or you're not church, you're like, wait, hold up, wait, wait. A gi- okay, wait, wait, what? A giant fish came up and swallowed Jonah and then he was alive for three days and three nights. Okay, crazy sauce. Okay, like I'm out, I'm out. I mean, you guys kind of made sense, mostly not, you're kind of weird but now I know you guys are weird and crazy. I'm out of here. I get it, I get it, it's very strange, but listen to me. This is just another reason that we need to have a more accurate, bigger picture of God. Look with me, Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Would you read this out loud with me? Is anything too hard for me? The moment we start saying, God, how, that doesn't make sense. How could you save a guy with a giant fish? Is anything too hard for him? If God could raise Jesus from the dead, he could dang send a fish to swallow Jonah up and preserve him. There are a lot weirder things in the Bible that are harder to believe. I, I just, I'm gonna tell you that. So for three days and three nights, Jonah is in the belly of the fish being slowly digested. And there's a lot of different reports if you've read about how this could happen, and maybe there's, there's some reports that Years ago, people have been found, they cut open, you know, they caught a whale or a giant shark and they cut open and there's like unconscious men like laying there, bleached because they were being slowly digested and they resuscitated these people and they lived. Now, those could be true, they really could. And they're all bleached and stuff like that from the acid. But, but listen, regardless, I don't know how it works, I don't need to know it worked, it's a miracle. God sustained this guy's breath. God sustained his life for three days because God had a plan for Jonah and God does what he pleases. He gets his way. And if God did not have Jonah's attention at this point, he does now. <laughs> Listen, you got a giant fish coming out of nowhere swallowing you up and you're being digested. You're gonna wake up. Verse one, then Jonah prayed to Yahweh his God from the belly of the fish. Finally, Jonah prays in chapter two. He's been ignoring God and now he's finally praying. Jonah is finally spiritually awake, kind of. And oftentimes, guys, when we're in the worst, most painful circumstances, that's when all the clutter, all the different distractions get cleared out and we can finally wake up and sense what reality is. If you guys, anybody here had that happen before? Something crazy happened in your life and all of a sudden you just start realizing what, what is reality, what your priorities are, some of you guys? Those are mercies, those are severe, painful mercies, but they're mercies, and often when you talk to Christians who go through these crazy tragedies, they'll say, man, I would not wish that on my worst enemy. I don't wanna do that ever again, but I'm so grateful I went through that because it woke me up. It woke me up. This is another reminder that God's mercy and love is often expressed through trials and discipline. So listen, hey, if you're going through a hard time, it may not be that God's punishing you. It may that be that God is trying to wake you up because he loves you. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to wake you up because he loves you. He knows that you being awake is the greatest thing that could be for you. That you being close to him is the greatest gift he can give to you. That although he wants your comfort, he wants your success, he wants even more for you to be near him. Because the, only then and only then are you safe. 
and you're fully alive. Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. And then Jonah prays this long prayer, and we're going to fly through it. There's a lot of details, but I do know that it's late, and I know I'll get lost in some of these details. So I'm going to skip some things. If you have questions, you could always talk to me offline if you'd like. Verse 2, saying, would you read this with me? I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Let's read verse 4 too. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. I read too fast, don't I? Sorry about that. You guys try to keep up with me. You're like, what are you doing? So what we see is that Jonah's using really intense language, language of hell, language of death, because he is becoming spiritually awakened. He's coming to life. Remember in chapter one, Jonah fled from the face of God, and now he actually is turning his body, his, the, the, his heart towards God, and he says he's gonna look upon him in the temple. So that line right there is Jonah saying, I'm gonna come back to you, God. I'm turning my face back to you. I turned away from you. I walked away, you didn't walk away. It was me who walked away, but I'm turning back towards you. And you heard my prayer. Now notice this in verse five through seven. He continues to express how bad his situation is. It's on the screen. And I'm gonna skip some of those words, but if you look at it, these are terrible words, like deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Imagine like weeds, like a turban around his face or choking him, you know. I went to a land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And his prayer came to him. So it seems like Jonah, this is what I think happened. Because in the text, the, the fish swallows him up right away, but I think it was showing what happened and, and leaving out what was going on in between. And what, what I mean by that is I think Jonah was hurled into the sea, and as he was sinking, he was going really, really, really low to the bottom of the sea. So, I mean, he's getting entangled by sea, seaweed and all that kind of junk, and he's freaking out. Maybe he's losing oxygen. He's starting to black out. He's freaking out. He's praying, finally. He's waking up finally. He's praying and asking God for help. And he prays, he wakes up. And yet, if you see this prayer, verse five through seven, he is actually thanking God. He's praising God. Now let me ask you a question. Where is Jonah when he's praying this prayer of thanksgiving? He's in the fish. The dude is getting digested and he's thanking God. Dear God, thank you for this. How is this happening? How in the world is Jonah thanking God while he's been, is being suffocated and digested by this stinky fish? I mean, some of you guys, do you guys like the smell of fish, right? Like, imagine being in the stomach of a fish and this guy's thanking God, he has gratitude. He's not thanking God once he gets out of the situation, he's thanking God while he's in the midst of the situation. Remember, humbling ourselves and being near to God is the safest place we can be, even if we're being digested. I love how one preacher put it, put it it's on the screen. There is, there is a greater deliverance than deliverance from circumstances. It is deliverance from sin, amen? And so even though Jonah is still being in the, digested in a, in a belly, <laughs> He's now being delivered from sin, which is his greater enemy. His greatest enemy is not dying in, in a whale or a fish. His greatest enemy is being separated from God. 
And so he's praising God because his greatest issue, his greatest need is being met. Can you imagine thanking God in the midst of that situation? Or can you only praise God when all of your circumstances are right in your eyes? This is hard. Thanking God in the midst of a trial. Now look at verse eight. We're gonna spend some time on here. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What is going on here? Who is he talking about? He's talking about other people. He's not talking about himself. He's not saying, I was worshiping idols. See, Jonah is revealing right now, and he will over the rest of the chapter, that he's still pointing his finger, thinking the biggest problem in the world is other people and not himself. Anybody know anyone like that? Anybody like that? Yeah, I'm like that. That's our temptation, is feeling the biggest problem is outside of us, not instead of inside of us. And let's talk about idolatry for a moment. You guys have heard this term idolatry, right? And it's tricky because you're like, hey, I, I don't struggle with idolatry, Sam. Like, I don't have idols in my home, like lucky Buddha, right? Like, I'm not that guy. So what is, what is idolatry for us if you don't have a literal statue? There, there's an author named Tim Keller. You don't need to memorize his name, but he's a great guy. And he has this really helpful book called Counterfeit Gods, which talks about idols. And there's a quote on the screen that explains from his understanding what an idol is, and I, I tend to agree with him. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. That's good, but that's hard. H how can you identify if you have an idol in your life? Well, Keller says this, next slide. A counterfeit God, an idol, is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. And we'll see repeatedly throughout the book that Jonah is willing to die when he does not get what he wants. That's a perfect example of his idolatry. Let me ask you a question. Guys, I know it's late. I'm gonna ask you to stick with me. And if you're talking to a neighbor, listen, again, like I said yesterday, at the guy was flashing the light at my face. It's not about me. Don't distract a neighbor. Maybe you don't care about this, but can you have enough care to not keep someone else from receiving this? You, you tracking with me? Maybe you're like, I don't want this. Well, hey, that, that's on you. But don't bring other people down. Stick with me for a little bit more. I know I'm giving you some high stuff. I'm giving you some hard stuff. And I know you're in junior high, but because I respect you. I'm going to treat you like bigger people. <laughs> I'm not gonna treat you like little kids and give you little mini truths. So stick with me a little bit longer. We're about to land the plane. Let me ask you this question. Is there anything in your life that you would feel like life is over if you didn't have it? Just think about it, don't, don't respond, just think about it. Is there anything in your life that you would feel like life is over as you know it if you did not have it? Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's popularity, maybe it's a, a, a person in your life, your, your health, a sports, a hobby, Essentially, what do you look to in order to give you most purpose, life, and joy? And if you're honest with yourself with those questions that I just asked, that will give you a good idea of what might be an idol in your life. What might be a counterfeit God that's competing for God for first place in your heart? It's a really good thing to talk to your cabin about and to other trusted, mature people in, G in the Lord about. Do you look, look back at the text, verse nine. 
Did you read this out loud with me? But I, with a voice of thanksgiving. Jonah finishes prayer with more thanksgiving. He is finally committed to obeying God. You see that? He says, I have vowed I will pay. What I have vowed I will pay. And he ends with this important key line. One of the key lines in this entire book, if you're taking notes or if you have a Bible, you can even underline it, highlight it. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. We're going to talk about it a lot more tomorrow because we're going to see how that plays out in Nineveh. But Jonah does not realize how true the statement is. And in fact, even though Jonah is saying this true statement, he's going to have issues with this statement in, the, in just a few moments, in chapter 3 and 4. But let's read our last verse for tonight. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Ugh. Hey, it's a mercy. It's a stinky mercy. But it's a mercy from God. Now, let, let, me, let, let me end with this. Stick with me. A few more minutes, and we're, de- we're done. What did you hear me say? Stick with me for a few moments, and we're done. Did you say dead? Did you hear me say dead? <laughs> Yeah, you're awake now. I didn't mean to say dead. See, I'm not perfect. Check my work, all right? All right, here's the thing. Listen, when we talk about God does what he wants and he will have his way and purposes, honestly, we can question his goodness. We can question and be like, how can I trust a God who's so self-serving and does what he wants? That sounds pretty selfish. He lives for his glory? What? How can I trust this plan when it doesn't fully make sense to me? How can we trust the heart of God who glorifies himself and made us to glorify him? You remember I said, don't be a glory thief, that God made you to point to him, not for him to point to you? How can you trust a God like that? That seems so arrogant and proud. So listen, I struggle with this, and I've struggled with it in the past at times. Because you know why I struggle with it most? Because I want glory. I want the attention. Me. So it bothers me when I read these texts. It bothers me when I'm confronted with these truths. And I'm sure it's bothering some of you right now like it did me and it does to me sometimes. But let me answer this. When I look at the cross, when I look at what God does through Jesus Christ on the cross, I realize I can trust his heart even though I don't understand his plans and understand his ways. I can trust a God who would die in my place for me. There's not a screen for this, but if you have a Bible, turn to Romans 8.32. Let me just spend one minute on this. Romans 8.32, one of the most precious verses in the Bible. Romans 8.32. I'd encourage you to even write it on your arm, get a tattoo if you're allowed to. You're not allowed to? Oh yeah, you're junior high, sorry. Hey, there are worse things to tattoo on your body, okay? Let's just say. All right. Romans 8.32. All right, if you're there, say there. There. If you need a minute, say need a minute. What? I feel like some of you guys said there and need a minute. How is that possible? All right, Romans 8.32. Okay, let me say it out loud. If you're not there, it's okay. Just listen along, turn along. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let me say that again. 
If God did not spare his own beloved precious son, will he not more give us graciously all things? What what is this text saying? This text is saying this. If the most precious, most valuable, most beautiful thing that God has is his own beloved son, and if he's willing to give up his own son, and if his son is voluntarily coming for us, to die for us rebels, us enemies, us glory thieves, if he's willing to give us his son, then can't you trust him with everything else? See, what it's showing is the immense worth of Jesus, and when you see the worth of Jesus and you see all the other things that God may call you to give up and all the things that we struggle and idolize, you know, friends and and, and careers and different things like that, we see the worth of Jesus. Say, God, if you could give me Jesus, if you're willing to give me Jesus, I could trust your hearts. And even though I'll have seasons and trials in my life that don't make sense, if you give me Jesus, I can trust you. So listen, I don't know what you're all going through. I know some of you guys are going through so much pain at home and at school, but listen, if God gave his own son, you can trust his heart, even if you can't see his hand, even if you can't see his plan, you can trust his heart. And when God says, Sam, the greatest thing for you is not for you to get more glory for yourself, more attention for yourself, but for you to give your life, to give glory to me, I can trust him. I can trust him when my heart wants to down. Say, no, it's for, it should be for me. I say, you know, I can, I can trust God like that. See, 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 what God is saying, he's saying, you will be most happy if you find your happiness in him, not in happiness in yourself. And that is where you're gonna have a war. Listen, campers, you're gonna have a war with God in your heart because your flesh, Satan, and sin are gonna want to tell you, no, 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 that guy's lying. You need to hold on to your own love, your own love for yourself, your own glory for yourself, your own purpose and plans. God doesn't know best for you. And you know what lie that is? That's the lie of the serpent. Because remember in Genesis 1 through 2, 1 through 3, what did the serpent lie to, to, to Adam and Eve? He said, hey, if God really loved you, he'd let you have that fruit. If God really is trustworthy, then he would give you what you want. And so the, the age-old lie that all people struggle to fall into, that we all fall into, is this lie that God is holding out, that God doesn't know what's best for us, that he's a killjoy, that he's holding back what, which, what would make us happiest and give us most life, and the reality is, no, 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 he has the answer to life because he created life. He knows what will make you most happy, students. He knows what will give you most joy, and the most joy and most life you'll have is in him, and that is gonna be the wrestle. And so let me ask you this question as I close and pray. Will you receive God and all that he is? Will you let him be your joy? Will you let him be your purpose, your glory? Will you let his plans be greater than your plans? His will be over your will. Will you let him replace your cheap cheap counterfeits of him for the real him? Will you lay down your idols? Listen, if you want God, you cannot hold on to him while you're still holding on to your idols. Just like if I was holding on to another woman besides my wife, and and my wife says, come to me, and I'm saying, yep, yep. I'm coming to you. No, that's not going to work, right? You have to let go. Campers, listen. You have to let go of those idols. You have to let go of those counterfeit gods if you want to hold on to Christ. He will not have another lover. 
He will not have, he will not share his glory with another. He will not share your affections, your trust, your attention, your obedience, your allegiance with another. It needs to be him or nothing. And so I want to pray for you because I know that's hard to hear, but that's the truth. And so the question is, will you remake it to fit your own fancies, your own desires? Will you reject it or will you receive it? Let's pray. The band's gonna come up and lead us in a song that we're gonna be singing throughout the week. They're gonna introduce, but let me pray for you. Father, Father, I know these truths are hard and offensive, but Lord, you did a work in my heart when I was 15. You showed me that you were better than me. You were more worthy than me. You were more glorious glorious in me. You were more You're better than anything that I could imagine. And when I was 15, my heart completely changed and I said, I want to live for your glory. I want to live for you. And that has been the greatest decision I could ever make and I want that to be for every student, every soul in here, adult, leader, red coat, every one of us, every band member, that our hearts would be set upon your glory, your purposes, your ways. But yet the problem is, is that we have to give up ours. That's hard and that's scary because that's all we know. And it feels scary to let go of our plans. It feels scary to let go of our control, our idols, our comforts. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us give it all to you right now. Across this room right now, would you move by your power of the Holy Spirit? Let us let go of them so we can hold on to you. Help people trust you. Help them know that you're better than anything that they have to let go. You're more worthy. And even though we don't understand all that you're asking, that's okay. We can trust your heart even though we don't know the full plan. Please be with every camper tonight, every, every discussion. Would you dethrone the idols of our heart and take the rightful place? In Jesus' name, amen.